Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. I want to remind you about our friends again at Bioptimizers Magnesium. That's right. I've told you that um, I remember during my training uh, a f- endocrinology fellow hammering the importance of magnesium into my head. It's one of the more studied in- minerals out there. And today, thousands of studies show how beneficial it is. Uh, the only two-time Nobel Prize winner, Linus Pauling, someone whose grandkids I grew up with, recommended daily supplementation of magnesium, and many other physicians do as well. It's often overlooked. Most magnesium supplements fail because they are synthetic and not the full spectrum. When you actually get all seven forms of magnesium, pretty much every function in your body is upgraded. Sleep, things like pain and inflammation, all good Magnesium helps. That's why Magnesium Breakthrough is different. It combines all seven essential forms of magnesium into one supplement. With this one simple action, you can reverse magnesium deficiency in all its forms. And right now, during the entire month of November, the makers of Magnesium Breakthrough, that is our friends at Bioptimizers, are running their Black Friday and Cyber Monday until November 30th. This is the best time of the year for incredible deals. Select products, you can get free shipping up to 40% off, and they're even giving away free bottles of Massozymes, P3OM, something I take every day, and their HCL Breakthrough with select orders. You will not find this deal anywhere else, not even their own official website. It's only through this special link, Buy Optimizers, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S, buyoptimizers.com slash Drew. Use the coupon code Dr. Drew, D-R-D-R-E-W. And for the fastest shipping and access to free products until November 30th, go to buyoptimizers.com slash Drew. All right, welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, all the usual reminders, everyone. Support the people that support us here so we can keep the winds in the sail. The Corolla Pirate Ship, as I always remind you, and... Uh, Check out some of the other stuff we're doing. Uh, we do a daily streaming show. And sometimes if you go over to locals.com, we pull together a essentially a big Zoom kind of group, and we then stream that all out and have conversations. It's pretty kind of cool, actually. And uh, also after dark, and of course, uh, don't forget me and Adam. We're out there all the time. You can get it all at drdrew.com, Facebook, Dr. Drew, or drdrew.tv. Today we're welcoming back Dr. Andrew Goldstein. He is, uh, website is volvodynia.com, V-U-L-V-O-D-Y-N-I-A, and we will explain to you what that means if you don't know already. Uh, new textbook, Female Sexual Pain Disorders, Evaluation and Management, previous books, Management of Sexual Dysfunction in Men and Women. Uh, his past appearances here were episodes 7, 12, and 39, all back in 2013. We got into some deep conversations about uh, essentially – hormonal contraceptives and what was being overlooked in terms of the the side effects and long-term effects of those medications. Dr. Goldstein's wife is also a a physician, a dermatologist. They have three great daughters. And uh, they do all the usual outdoor activities. Dr. Goldstein, welcome back. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. It's good to see you. Last time I saw you in, at least not in person, but that we are face-to-face, was literally, I think, at the MTV Video Music Awards or or the Grammys or something like that, right? I definitely, I fangirled you. Um, um, You know, everyone else was very excited about, you know, seeing, you know, I don't know who it was, the the pink. I think think pink was time. But I, when I when I when I saw you, I was like, you know, this is that's Doctor Drew. I got to go meet him. (laughs) That's really funny. It was funny. I had a similar experience with the uh, cast of Schitt's Creek. Uh, uh, Eugene Levy's son, Dan Levy. And the woman that plays Alexis were a couple tables away from me, and I ran over there like some sort of maniac. I could see it on their face, like whoa, whoa, whoa! And it was before they had become popular. I, I was an early adopter, and uh, I, I could tell that I'd uh, overstepped my boundaries, as they say. <laughs> and uh, now I, I'm sure they're used to that now. Uh, so let's let's bring people up to date. Literally, it was seven years ago when we last spoke, which I can't believe, or almost eight years ago. And uh, I cannot believe that. Uh, but I figured there had been some changes, and I also figured it was warranted reviewing even some of the stuff we were doing back then. I- I'm not sure our peers have caught up with what you were talking about then, though Though I feel like it might be a little better because I'm hearing less complaining from the patients. In other words, less confusion, I would say, from the patients, as though perhaps somebody is coaching them up when they're initiating hormonal contraceptives, things like that. But uh, where are we now? 
Well, um, I mean, I think we've really come a long way in the last decade or so about uh, figuring out the different causes of sexual pain, um, sexual pain disorders, um, and uh, including, you know, the role that hormonal contraceptives play in that. Um, but we really have come a long way to understand the role of the pelvic floor muscles um, and how they cause pain, um, can cause pain with sex. Um, and I guess probably the most uh, quote unquote, exciting things that we've sort of figured out over the last five years is the role of the spine. Um, years ago, we didn't think that the spinal cord played any role really in any vulvar or, or vaginal pain, but in fact it does. And that's not surprising. I mean, it shouldn't be surprising, except I guess it was surprising to us. What, and what did you imagine it was? Just some sort of, uh, I, I mean, a lot of the, well, let, let me frame it this way. My understanding that is that there is a considerable part of pain associated with something called vaginismus that is essentially a reflexive circuit, and so it must go through the spine, right? As such, and is that is that what we're talking about here? Well, we're actually well, we're talking about that as one cause of the pain, which are the, where the tight pelvic floor muscles, but actually, um, specifically, just herniation, small herniations are small changes in the spine that don't even cause um, things like as bad as sciatic or other things, but can actually cause um, vulvar pain, um, like clitorodynia, pain of the clitoris, um, something called persistent genital arousal disorder, where um, uh, when you feel aroused all the time, it's very um, Distressing. It's it's uh, um, not wanted, but they but basically they feel like they're on the edge of orgasm all the time, um, and we're finding spinal lesions um, that uh, can cause this. That again, we didn't think that these small changes in the spine would cause this. It's interesting. I remember going out to. I was doing a show on Discovery Channel years ago. And we were talking about uh, novel approaches to sexual dysfunction and there was a guy in South Carolina that was putting in little spinal stimulators into the lumbosacral area and, and it was causing or, you know, people who were anorgasmic, they regained their orgasmic functioning. So it makes sense that something's going on there exactly. Do we have any more insight into what that biology is exactly? One of the interesting things is so the spinal cord itself, as you know, um, ends at the uh, at really at the top of the lumbar spine, and and after that part of the spinal cord, then you just have spinal nerve roots, um, and they come out. They'll travel down through the entire lumbar spine and then come out through the sacrum. And in fact, the nerve roots um, that go to the vulva and the vagina, the sacral um, levels S2, S3, and S4 actually rest right along the discs in the lumbar spine. So um, you can actually have irritation of those nerve roots. And that's the, uh, and the only thing you'll have is sexual dysfunction. And it can be, as you pointed out, um, either, uh, overactivity, so they actually feel um, like they're on the verge of orgasm, or if it persists, they'll actually have loss of function. So that's just a spectrum. And so we're finding that small tears called annular tears in the lumbar spine can cause um, this small cysts called Tarlov cysts, which used to be thought as an incidental finding on MRI mm. and often weren't even uh, mentioned by the radiologist, can actually impinge upon these sacral nerve roots. Are these so cysts a, in the bone? Um, they're not in the bone. They're actually they're called perineural cysts. So oh. they're they're cysts um, in the dura uh-huh. um, of the of the spinal cord, and so we're finding that that's a, a cause. So basically, when we couldn't figure out wh- where you know what the cause was, now when we're starting to look, a lot of times the cause is these spinal lesions. It's we, not we, the most common cause of pain, but right. again. It's, it's, it's a new thing that we did, you know, we're whittling down the possible, you know, the, the amount of people who had pain that we couldn't figure out. Right, right. And, and so it's, it helps us help the people that we couldn't help before. And it changes what we call the differential, the things we think about when somebody's having these things. But, but get me back to the biology again because uh, the, the biology of orgasm had always been sort of mysterious and you'll hear people talk about you know, the invocation of the sympathetic nervous system followed by a parasympathetic. Why is that? And, and by the way, Gary, I don't know if this 
if do you, if you pull up a picture now, would that go on the website or how would that work? How would people see it? We could put it on the website, sure. Okay, Cauda Aquina. Look up the Cauda, C-A-U-D-A Aquina, E-U-Q-I-N-A. And that will give you a picture of the sort of stuff Dr. Goldstein is talking about here. But this is something separate from that, which is the autonomic nervous system, which is this – Frankly, not well understood. We we know where it is. We know the anatomy, but exactly what it's doing. I mean, I keep asking questions like, "Why are the sympathetic ganglion along the spine? What are they doing? They're doing some right. sort of processing. Mm-hmm. Exactly what? And what's happening in that pelvic plexus and the parasympathetic? Uh, and and how much of that's coming out and going to the vagus and getting into our brainstem? The answer is generally we don't know. But I'm we wondering. If it, but I'm, I'm wondering I'm, if anything I'm, more has come yeah. of that. The innervation of which is what nerves go to different things, especially in the in the pelvic uh, pelvis, are still really not well understood. The innervation of the cervix, for example, is not well understood. Um, there were some several recent articles, um, one in the that major medical journal Cosmo, um, <laughs> that actually talked about women who had a procedure called a leap for cervical cancer, um, or not cervical precancer, not yeah. cancer, but yeah. for precancerous changes and how it affects um, their or- orgasmic capacity. And, um, you know, most gynecologists poo-poo this idea. They say, oh, there's no way, how could it possibly, the cervix, which doesn't have in the same type of nerves, how could that affect orgasm? But in fact, yes, indeed, it does mm. uh, affect orgasm. Um, and it took thousands of women, basically, on Facebook and other, and other things, complaining about this issue um, for doctors to start taking it seriously. I, I remember when so, I was doing gynecology rotations, we would see women who'd had hysterectomies who insisted that something was different afterwards and they were absolutely dismissed like no how could it be we left your ovaries you don't need that uterus anymore and they're like no and they now then they start looking at the vaginal cuff and blaming that and that sort of thing but uh no there's so that's absolutely yeah. yeah that's absolutely true and, and part of the problem with all the studies of that um is that if you actually look at a study of let's say a thousand women who have hit, had a hysterectomy if you add them all up they'll say that there's no difference between uh, and, and as far as sexual function afterwards but the but the reason that goes back to that old saying lies damn lies and statistics yeah so a lot of women actually have improvement of sexual function after hysterectomy because the problem thing did the hysterectomy me for was causing terrible sexual dysfunction, right. whether Pain. that be Pain. heavy bleeding yeah. or endometriosis or other other issues. But um, for other women, clearly it does um, cause sexual dysfunction, decreased orgasm, decreased quality of orgasm, yeah. and strength of orgasm. One of the uh, things about uh, orgasm is that there's a rhythmic contraction of the uterus. And so if you take out the uterus, then you, lo- you lose that nice, strong orgasmic response. And so certainly in those women who have problems, then of course it does. But if you add them all out of Three, three of the thousand women, 300 people have um, improvement in sexual dysfunction and 300 women have worsening of sexual dysfunction. Well, then the paper will always say, oh, there's no difference. Uh, Except right. there is a difference right. for those 300 women. Interesting. That's bad statistics. You're right. Damn, damn lies and statistics. When it comes to those rhythmic contractions, it's, it's not the uterus that's contracting, right? It's, it's what, the round, the round ligament? Or what, what's, what's contracting, actually? The whole pelvic floor, but yeah. also the uterus itself will contract. Huh. The uterus itself will contract. It's the pelvic floor, the uterus. Um, uh, they'll, you'll even see the cervix. I mean, some people actually, you know, the, the evolutionary reason why women have orgasm is, has, has been debated for a long time, but there at least is some speculation that the, orga- uh, the orgasm um, – the contraction of the uterus actually sucks up sperm into the into the cervix and up into the uterine cavity. I, I have heard um, that I heard that theory years ago, and, and I was very dismissive of that. Is that now something that has been shown to be true? We don't know. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it clearly there's actually one of the nice things now is there are functional MRI machines. You actually can. Um, there have been really cool images of uh, people having, you know, doing uh, having sex in the MRI machine, and you yeah. can actually see what touches what um, and what happens and what happens during orgasm. And so these are all relatively new studies. So you're actually seeing things that you, anatomically where you couldn't see before. 
um, what you can, and that actually goes back to what the G spot is actually. Um, it, you know, basically it shows that um, there are arms to the clitoris. Everyone sort of thinks that the clitoris is that small little raisin shaped thing, but that's just a small part of the clitoris. That's called the glands clitoris. But then there are crura or legs of the clitoris um, that um, go down like a V. So the clitoris itself is almost as long as the, the male penis, um, but those, those legs are underneath the labia. And so uh, when a penis is inside the vagina is pressing up top, it's actually pressing on those legs and therefore causing clitoral stimulation, just not the part of the clitoris that you may think of. Um, and so that, and that whole complex near the urethra um, of those legs of the clitoris um, and the glands around the, the urethra is sort of what, what um, we now as lay people call the G-spot. But we didn't know exactly how that worked until we saw these really cool functional MRIs that uh, the, the would go on during, um, uh, during, while people were having sex in an MRI machine. And, and yet, do we really know any more about the difference between women that require some sort of direct clitoral stimulation versus those that have more what we characterize as, uh, well, let's say orgasmic w- with intercourse as opposed to some sort of direct uh, clitoral stimulation? Do we really know what that is yet? No, I mean, we certainly know that about 40% of women don't have orgasm just with um, penis and vagina uh, sex without clitoral stimulation. It could be, um, but that could be maybe they, uh, for some of those women, they just don't understand exactly what positions or where, how to stimulate that G-spot as well as that maybe they could. Um, but uh, otherwise, that clearly, I think there's just a range of how sensitive people are. Um, and therefore, they may need much more just direct glands clitoris stimulation. Yeah, I, also I, think, I, I have to tell you. I, I also think that hormonal contraceptives play a role in that as well. Yeah, I want to get into that. that but, um, because lack of decrease in hormones, especially testosterone, certainly causes decreased um, sensitivity to the nerves. So, so I, I, I sometimes feel that it's it's unfair to women to go, hey, you just don't understand how to use your vagina yet, uh, because because I, I I encountered this and have you know for the many many decades had this very this conversation over and over again, women that can have orgasm literally at the moment of penetration, there are those women out there who will have dozens of orgasms during a single sexual encounter, will talk to the women that are in that forty percent group and just go, well, you just haven't figured it out, and, and the women in the forty percent group will look at the woman that's having the the highly orgasmic function and think she's lying, and and I because it's so different, it's so vastly it different. different. These and, and so I think laying it at the feet of the women that need to learn something. I think I'm always a little worried about that because there just might I be don't a biological. I certainly agree with you. Yeah. I don't want to be dismissive. Um, um, but maybe we can put it also at the at the level of some of their partners who aren't. aren't, aren't <laughs> yes, uh, I agree with that too. I, I, and for sure. Or, or there may be a lot more going on than we know. It may be their feelings about that partner or how that partner, you know, there may be so much other stuff engaged in this that we just don't know about yet. That's why I was sort of asking about it again because it's always been a very mysterious topic. So again, they've done and they've done some really uh, great functional MRIs now of actually the brain during orgasm and yeah. sort of what you have to, what has to happen to have orgasm. I mean, the whole frontal cortex, the whole front part of the brain, really has to just, like shut off. So you have to basically all of the executive function. So all the things that you think about um, uh, the dishes in the the dishes in the sink, where the kids are, all those things, all of those uh, the the work or the Zoom call yeah. you have to do. All those yeah. things have to completely shut off yeah. um, for you to really get into a, a, a forgasmic state. And, and do, we, do we see a different – or have you studied or maybe somebody has the male pattern and how it's different? Um, I, I don't know as well as, as, as women. I think it's quite similar. Well, let, let, me, um, let, me, let me just say that, that I'm going to bet the visual cortex is firing out of control with the male. Right, right, and uh, um, and and actually, women actually more uh, auditory and actually this um, olfactory, the the smell, right, which which means sort of embedded in their body more than embedded in what they're seeing out in the world, which is interesting. And and I've been thinking a little bit about this lately. I've noticed women have this. I just don't know why I thought about this, but I thought, wow, there's this distinct difference 
it's more pronounced in some people than others. Again, we're not generalizing. We're just talking about you know the general trends and things and what we see. But women seem to go into really need relaxation and receptivity, which is sort of an estrogenic function, while men are sort of geared more towards tension and action, right? I mean, definitely. But uh, but I think we do also um, – I think we sometimes overemphasize the role of estrogen in, in women's sexual function and downplay testosterone. Oh, don't, um, don't get me wrong on that one. <laughs> I, I, I'm a, since we've last talked – I've become a huge advocate of testosterone replacement for women in peri and postmenopausal. Huge, huge, huge. It's been, absolutely, it's, been, it's, it's absolutely essential. I mean, why uh, give women back only half of what they're missing? Oh, mm. um, it's 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 so and and it's so important not just for sexual function, but you know, testosterone is incredibly important for an overall sense of well-being, energy. Um, it's great for it's very important for bones. Their testosterone androgen receptors, the testosterone receptors, um, in almost every organ in the body, and they're there for a reason. Evolution yeah. wouldn't let them stay there if there if there wasn't a reason for that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that, that is clearly very important. Um, but, uh, yeah, as you're uh, getting back to what your point was though, as far as, uh, the difference between male and female orgasm, I, I, uh, or at least leading aspects, up to orgasm, aspects of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, again, anything that women can do to get rid of that, um, uh, lose some of their executive functioning, meaning their frontal cortex and getting more. Uh, and, and so techniques such as mindfulness um, can help. Um, Which is, again, uh, rela- relaxation. Relaxation. Things, yeah, relaxation. I, 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 don't, I don't find that there is such a thing as male sexual dysfunction associated with anxiety, but it's really about anxiety and not relaxation. While for females, it's really more relaxation. Mm-hmm. Which, is, which are which are fact, distinct the, things. The medications, the medications that uh, there was one medication that was um, approved for female desire since the last time we talked, which yeah. is called flubanson or Addy. Yeah. Yeah. There are two of them, but there's one um, one called Addy, and effectively that what it does is it it. Um, it does that exactly the same thing. It really helps shut off the frontal cortex um, and uh, just, just enough so that women can re-engage with, with the other parts of their brain that are more related to sexual function um, and, and orgasm. The other medication that was actually recently approved for decreased desire in women actually is a, what is known as a melanocortin. And that, that medication works at the reptilian types of part of the brain, the oldest evolutionary part of the brain. So that part of the brain is only for, you know, basic desires and drives like eating and drinking and pure procreation. And so if you can, and that medicine, if it just works right on that area of the brain, it it sort of also turns off that executive function. So that's another medicine. There's another medicine out there that can actually work for that, for desire by working on that part of the brain. Melanotropin. Have they tried uh, melatonin per se? So it's a melanocortin, and it's um, and I think melatonin doesn't work um, for this. Um, they've used melanocortins. They've tried to study melanocortins for um, other uh, problems such as eating disorders, hmm. um, uh, because again, this area of the brain is really purely that old part of the brain that's old yeah. evolutionarily yeah. that's for the pure drive. Right. So they they've been trying to do they they work. The problem with those medications are side effects. Um, so um, the medication is called Vilesi. Vilesi. It's a small. Uh, it's an injection, um, but it's a very very small injection. It's an auto injector pen. Um, and the one of the main side effects is about uh, 40% of women actually have nausea yeah. that goes down each time you use it. Huh. Um, but, um, they, when I actually was, took part in the clinical trials to help develop this and originally it was a nasal spray, so it wasn't an injection, but that actually caused projectile vomiting uh, in about 20% of women, which is not very, uh, which is not very sexy. No, it's called so, desirable. Um, what, now, what is now, it used for again? Exactly. What's the indication? Vilesi is actually for, um, for what is known as hypoactive sexual desire disorder. Or right. just decreased libido, and and wouldn't I'm sure it's not first line, right? Well, first line is is make sure that the hormones are completely normal, right. Right. Um, 
And again, uh, counseling, sex therapy and counseling are very important to make sure it's not a relationship thing. Right. But there are, there are people in relationships uh, uh, and they're like, you know, things were great for 15 years, but something just shut off in my brain and mm. I felt it. And it's, I still love my, my, my partner. I still find my partner sexy. I still, but I just, there's just something that's been taken away from me that yes. I can't figure out. Yeah. And for those type of women, these medications really can be quite useful. Yeah. So I'll tell you my own uh, personal story. My wife doesn't mind me talking about this because she's a big advocate, which is uh, she had ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, right, as part of fertility mm -hmm. treatment. And so we really don't even know the long-term effects of what that does to ovarian function, really, in terms of its normal physiology. Somewhere in uh, – and then we had triplets as a result of that fertility campaign. And so somewhere in her late 30s, she started feeling – depression and decreased sexual desire and a lot of irritability and things like that. And they went, oh, well, you are depressed. And of course you are. You have triplets, you know. And they say for the next 15 years, they kept telling her, you're depressed. You need to take a therapist. You're depressed this. And she would dutifully do all these things. And things didn't really square. Never severe. It was never, you know, profound depression. It was just sort of something wasn't right, like you're right. saying. Uh, and she finally found her way to uh, full replacement therapy. She's using bioidentical implant, you know, the implantable bioidentical hormones, and immediately had a complete and total resolution of any of the psychiatric symptomatology, the sexual symptomatology, multiple other things she hadn't been aware of, but were I guess bothering her in terms of you know aches and pains and body mm -hmm. posture and all this stuff yep. and was she was furious that no one had looked into the possibility of perimenopause causing all these symptoms and most particularly and this was for her the magic ingredient was testosterone replacement yep. well it, yeah it's so important and uh you know we again it's uh what I, if we took a hundred gynecologists and we asked them, you know, do women have more estrogen or testosterone? I, I would say that 94% of them would say more estrogen, but in fact, it's the exact opposite. Women still have 10 times the amount of testosterone than they have estrogen. It's still about one thirteenth of what men have, but at the same time, it's an incredibly important hormone. Androgens are incredibly important for overall, exactly what you were saying about your wife, overall sense of well-being. Um, it's also incredibly important for um, lean muscle mass. Right. So why is that important? That's well, right. if you, if you have, don't have lean muscle mass, then you have um, metabolic changes. So right. as women age, a lot of times they'll notice that they're, you know, no matter how hard they're working out, they're still gaining weight. The weight is now like men, which is now they're gaining it around their middle. Which is uh, um, which, if you're in the, in the day of COVID, is a major risk factor for <laughs> for serious complications of an infectious disease. Right. So, the, so, the, so it's, it's very important for, and so they get, and that increases the risk of pre-diabetes and diabetes. Yep. So it's so incredibly important and it's very important for the, the density of bones. Yep. Um, you know, I think we may have talked about this, you know, seven years ago, but, you know, evolution really doesn't care about the life of the menopausal woman. I mean, mm. I know that sounds pretty terrible, right. but, you know, it's sort of when, it's sort of when the warranty's out. Um, and well, I mean, I, evolution kind of, never planned for this. Right. The evolution and, never and anticipated the idea of somebody living to 80, or at least not routinely. No, absolutely yeah. not. I mean, yeah. when this country was founded, what, one in, only one in 10 people lived past 50. Oh, I, I love the, so, I, by the way, I love the, uh, I, I was talking to somebody just today about the opening episode of The Nick, which is about uh, uh, surgeons at the turn of the century at a New York hospital. And a, a peer dies and he's giving a eulogy and he goes, today at the turn of the century in 1900, the average male in this country can expect to live to the age of 43 years. <laughs> and so it's like, wow, that's probably true. Right. So, you know, so women living to mid 80s, which is 35 plus years in menopause, you know, that's just that's just not quote unquote natural. So in order to have I mean, you can live poorly or you can live well. Um, in those 35 years. And in order to live well, you really have to give the body what it needs. Um, and, um, and that includes the hormones that are really, that are important for vitality. Yeah. Um, again, well, estrogen, but, but testosterone. I, and, yeah. And, and, and yeah, and Go even ahead. progesterone, by the way. Oh, That's yeah. An interesting thing. Oh, yeah. Because, because one of the things um, is that sort of, again, many gynecologists sort of feel only the role of progesterone is to 
basically protect the uterus from developing endometrial cancer. Um, and so if, for example, you have a hysterectomy, they'll say, oh, all you need is estrogen. You don't need the progesterone. But in fact, progesterone is very important for that overall sense of well-being, calmness, um, sleep. And so a lot of times women are not given progesterone as part of their hormone therapy um, because maybe they've had a hysterectomy. And so that, again, they're missing out on that full, all the hormones that they need to feel normal. Yeah. uh, My wife said that uh, she felt like a part of herself was restored that had died and she wasn't even aware of it, like was gone and she didn't know she could get it back. But uh, back to the progesterone, maybe I'm quoting literature improperly, but my understanding is progesterone has some protective effect against breast cancer and so does testosterone, right? Well, so what I can tell you is that, well, what we do know, and again, when we talk about hormones, it's very important to talk very specific. So for example, that very large study called the Women's Health Initiative that basically got women to stop taking hormone replacement was basically when, because it said that women were at increased risk of both heart attack, stroke, and breast cancer. Well, when we, uh, and the the media had a really terrible role to play in this, and they they basically um, were very fear mongering. And so, wait a minute, um, slow down. The media fear mongering. Yeah, I have not been sorry. exposed to that. <laughs> yeah, that. we had no well, even with that. To me, it's so funny you bring that up because I you're right. I remember that now, but compared to how they're behaving today, it seems quaint. It seems almost <laughs> like appropriate. But you're right. They I they were. They, but by the way, my profession was part of the problem. Internal medicine. Was took the position that you're a witch doctor if you don't rely on the science and you're being no better than a witch doctor if you continue to prescribe estrogen, which was a bizarre position given that all of us had seen the benefits and we were yeah. confused by it. But it was a terrible study. It's a great it was a terrible study. And so one of the things is that the progesterone in that study is something called medroxyprogesterone, which is a synthetic progesterone. And so we actually found that the reason there was an increased risk of breast cancer was not estrogen. In fact, the women who just took estrogen alone had an 18% decrease in breast cancer. Did that ever hit the media? No. Was that ever discussed? No, please. No, but women... But women who took estrogen alone in that study actually had a decreased risk of breast cancer. Right. And, but the women who had the medroxyprogesterone, which is different than this normal progesterone, are, are the women who had increased risk of breast cancer. So yeah. there are not many physicians st- you know, 20 years later who use medroxyprogesterone, and they shouldn't, clearly. Right. Right. And the other thing about that study is it really depended on how the estrogen was given. Um, and that was what was a question of how um, the risk of heart attack and stroke. You know, if you take an estrogen orally, um, the dose of, it goes into your stomach, and then nine, then it all goes to the hormone goes right to the liver. The liver autom- uh, detoxifies, gets rid of over ninety percent of that estrogen immediately. But when it does that, it increases clotting factors. Mm. So such that that was the reason there was increased risk of heart heart attack and stroke when you took oral estrogen. But now, 20 years later, we never do that. We either use testosterone in um, gels or patches. And so we're using doses of estrogen that are 1 15th, 1 18th, the dose of an oral estrogen in that study. And yet you get the same benefits but you don't have the heart attack and stroke risk. And the other thing that that, uh, is curious and interesting is that (laughs) not to – I don't want to frame this in such a way that is not pejorative and is accurate, but each woman responds differently to these hormone mixes. Uh, For some women, for instance, we have just talked about how important testosterone is. For some women, they experience no change in sexual desire and only become feel uh, aggressive and irritable, right? That happens. And, Absolutely, yeah. So it should not be one set. None of this should be a one size fits all um, uh, uh, approach. And part of the reason um, that it's a one size or used to be sort of one size fits all is that we pay attention, or in the past, people paid attention to blood levels of hormones. Mm. And the, but but that's really not even one twentieth of the real picture, because what happens is the hormones have to get into the cells to cause the effect. 
And so what happens is the blood, the hormones in the blood have to go through a hormone receptor. And the thing about hormone receptors is that they're very variable from one person to another and, based on their genetics. And they be carried by proteins in the blood that have different binding characteristics. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. So blood levels really mean very little. Yeah. I always tell people – my analogy often is that you're, you're either born with a, a Hummer or you're born with a smart car. Hmm. And so you either can have a very efficient hormone receptor or a very inefficient hormone receptor. Um, and you don't know that. So for some women, they need a ton of hormone just to get the effect that just a little bit of hormone in a woman who has a very efficient receptor would need. And so you can't just say, well, the dose of this hormone is blank because uh, this amount, because again, and even if you test blood levels, it doesn't mean much because it doesn't tell you what's happening at the cellular level. But we all know this about all medicines, right? We know this about some women or some people will take just one medicine. They can take a a Tylenol and say, I felt, you know, sleepy for a week. Um, And other people, you know, could take a fistful of something and it doesn't affect them. So certainly this is the same in medicines, psychiatric um, medicines as well, which I'm sure you're incredibly aware. Yeah. There's no one size fits all. Although we think about it a little differently, uh, which is kind of interesting to me as you were talking about, I was just thinking about that. We, We think first metabolically, like how's it being metabolized? What's it being metabolized into? Uh, as though that's the primary issue we're dealing with. And then when we get beyond that, we start thinking about, again, binding sites and effects on cells, very much like the hormone receptor thing. But not so much, I can't think of a thing where you think so much about uh, humoral proteins so much. You know what I mean? Because that just adds another layer to the hormone story that makes it that much more impossible to predict. Right. It's really hard. So one of the things about now, I said a lot of people use uh, estrogen patches. The great thing about estrogen patches now is that there's an incredible wider range of dosing. So they can go from 0.0125 milligrams to 0.1. So there's an eightfold range of possible doses that you can use as far as estrogen. So it shouldn't, and so you really should pay attention to basically, the first thing I always say is pay attention to A, how, side effects. So if something, you know, the side effects are too great or something bothersome, then we lower the dose. And then we pay attention to um, to uh, the benefits. Right. We get to the, and then only then the third level would we pay attention to like blood hormone levels. Right. But I, but I think that, um, uh, same thing to go with like thyroid, for example. Mm-hmm. Thyroid hormone is in some women is in, uh, in, and men, but it seems to be in women more so that this incredibly – some women are very sensitive to even small changes in thyroid right. hormone. Right. And, uh, and that affects mood too, of course, and that yep. can affect libido and sleep and metabolism too. And again, there are binding uh, protein binding the thyroid, so it is much closer to to uh, uh, well, the endocrine system kind of works that way, and so it's more cl- obviously more closely aligned with the estrogens. Let me ask you a clinical question. I've got lots of uh, women in their eighties and nineties who've been on Premarin for a hundred years and will not come off. <laughs> Leave them on. Which is – let me just explain. Primarin is the old-fashioned oral, oral equine right. you know, drug, uh, horse-urine-derived horse hormone uh, therapy. Right. I mean so I guess the question is they've sort of proven that they're not hypercoagulable, meaning they're not forming clots because they've been doing it for 40 years. Right. So you, you, they've I don't worry about that. that they're okay. Yeah, I don't worry about that. Um, so I guess I would, I would say, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's kind of um, how I approach it. I just need to hear your confirmation that, and, and by the way, lots of my patients in that age group end up on some sort of anticoagulant anyway, uh, because atrial fibrillation or uh, lots of reasons, they cerebral vascular, all kinds of stuff, uh, end up on anticoagulant. So that's kind of interesting. Right. I never really thought about but that. If you're, but obviously if we're starting people now, we would not never start women right. only on oral estrogen. We would never do that. Right. 
If you think you may be depressed or you're feeling overwhelmed or anxious, BetterHelp Online Counseling offers licensed professional therapists who are trained to listen and to help with issues including anxiety, grief, depression, usual issues as you think of them, difficulty sleeping, LGBT matters, trauma. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then get matched with your counselor in under 48 hours. Easily scheduled, secure video or phone sessions. I mean, think about it. That's the world we live in now, which is Zoom and phone, and uh, these guys are good at it. Plus, you'll exchange unlimited messages to communicate with the therapist at your convenience. Everything you share, of course, is confidential. If for any reason you're unhappy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. Join the 1 million plus users, many of whom I've heard from, and they're very happy. These folks have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced BetterHelp counselor. BetterHelp is an affordable option, and our listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code DREW. Get started at BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash DREW, and talk to a therapist online and get help. Green Chef is a USDA-certified organic company that makes eating well easy and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. Green Chef, of course, lets you choose from a wide array of easy-to-follow recipes, perfect for keto, paleo, plant-based diets, whichever you choose. Recipes are quick, easy. Everything is hand-picked, featuring organic veggies and high-quality proteins. I'm a little discerning about that, and I'm telling you, you will be happy with the quality of the vegetables and the meats. Ingredients come pre-measured. Green Chef's expert chefs design flavorful recipes for your lifestyle and ingredients are seasonally sourced skip the grocery shopping it's green chef so go to greenchef.com slash drew 80 pay attention to that code and then use the code drew 80 to get 80 dollars off including free shipping that is right greenchef.com slash drew 80 use code drew 80 and you will get 80 dollars off including free shipping you'll be glad you did well, I think people know I love these products. I use them every day. Theragun, the handheld percussive therapy device. Of course, it releases deep muscle tension. If you're a fan of massage, or if you've ever used anything like this, you have to see Theragun. You have to try it because the all-new, amongst other things, the all-new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor that is so quiet, you will wonder if it is even on. So while you soothe your aching muscles with Theragun's signature power, amplitude, and effectiveness, you don't have to create a big racket. My dogs used to run out of the room with an older machine I had, not with Theragun. And you can try Theragun for 30 days. There is no substitute for Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need. It starts at only $199. I love their products. They think of everything. The way the handle is designed, the rechargeable cradles, you can really reach any part of your body. Go to theragun.com slash Drew right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. Again, trust me, these there's certain products you have that change your life. This is one of them. It's Theragun. That's theragun.com slash Drew, T-H-R-E-A-G-U-N.com slash Drew. Uh, and now, let, speaking of the Hummer and the Tesla uh, analogy, this is what we were kind of talking about last time you were in here, and I want to go circle back around to that. And that is you were doing research on the estri- the receptor sites uh, and you had described to me this notion that some people had these elongated receptors. I'm assuming those are the Teslas. Those are the smart cars and that they were changing in response to the high-dose progesterone oral contraceptives in some cases changing permanently. Am I getting so that the, right? The, the, longer the, the longer the receptor actually, the more inefficient the receptor. So that actually okay. the long, long ones are actually the, the Hummers. Okay, but, got it. Um, but yes, that's basically true. And so um, the, if we can continue the analogy, um, if, there's, if, there's, if gas is $2 a gallon, it really doesn't matter whether you're driving a, a Hummer or a smart car because it's, it, you can, everyone's doing fine. But if gas becomes 6 bucks an, a, a gallon or there's a, there's a gas shortage and the person driving the Hummer does worse, well, anyone who goes on oral contraceptives, pills, it lowers hormones so much that it becomes a gas shortage. Uh-huh. So the person who is born with the Hummer has a problem, whereas the person born with the smart, born with the smart car does fine. Um, and again, the, but the only problem with this is that you don't know if you're born with a Hummer or, or a smart car So um, until you try it. And so, again, women often have been dismissed for decades when they go on oral contraceptive pills and they say, oh, I start, I'm having pain or I have no libido or my orgasms have changed um, or I feel depressed or I feel crazy. And again, women are often dismissed um, by their physicians um, 
you know, the birth control pill is sort of like the third rail of, of medicine. And you like, because it was so important for, for, for women's, you know, from feminism and for, for, for women's lib, it was that it was so important to, to be able to control one's contraception that you can't say anything bad about it or you're, you know, you're pillared. Um, right. And it's funny because I would, about the same time that I came on your show the first time and I'd go to conferences and people would, you know, almost like, you know, it was so strange people like throwing tomatoes at me. Huh. And then I come back three and then three or four years later, I'd be invited back and they go, oh, yeah, we all remember that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're yeah. all like, like, oh, yeah, we all know that now. Yeah. So it's often the first time you say something, they, they uh, people are like just you know rail against it yeah i know but they but they all understand it now that or at least hopefully the other thing that's actually it's not changed, good to be early Be- yeah. i mean it's good to be early but it's not it's not it's not easy to be early let's put it that way one of the things though that has changed i think for the better is that the, the birth control pills that are prescribed in america are have changed a little bit since the uh like 10 10, 12 years ago, um, when I was doing a lot of research in this, one in uh, 40% of all women were on a birth control pill called Yaz or Yasmin. Mm-hmm. And that was the birth control pill that really, really um, uh, decreased testosterone. Um, that's used much less commonly now, not because of the the problems that I was out there talking about, but mainly because it caused increased blood clots and increased risk of, of blood clots in women and, um, and pulmonary embolus in young women. So, it, so gynecologists moved away from prescribing that pill, not because of the reasons that I was out there telling everyone to, to not use those pills. Um, it's interesting. I'm, I'm hearing less complaints. I thought maybe, as I said at the opening, maybe it's because they're being coached up, but less complaints of vaginal irritation, dyspareunia, and uh, decreased libido. I'm, I'm hearing less about that. So maybe that's what's happening. Because I think, and also we're moving much more towards um, uh, IUDs. Uh, young women are, are luckily getting using um, long-acting reversible contraceptives, so uh, IUDs and uh, progesterone implants. And one of those things about the progesterone in those implants is that they actually have androgenic properties or they have pro-testosterone properties. So some women actually complain about acne associated with IUDs and these, these implants, but and at the same time, um, they're, it's not causing the libido issues and it's not causing the pain with sex issues that the birth control pills that lower the testosterone are causing. I, I tell you what I have seen, and you tell me if this makes sense, from Marina, which is the progesterone one, right? Or at least one of the early progesterone ones, is mm-hmm. vag- vaginal oh, irritation. Yep. I am hearing some vaginal irritation and migraines. Those are the two things I've heard from it. Um, I... I I've certainly heard migraines and I've also heard depression. I don't know if yeah, you've seen that depression as well. too. Yeah, mood, mood stuff. And I well. immediately think progesterone. And, and again, women are often de- women are often very dismissed by this. Oh my god! Um, yes. But again, um, uh, actually, one of the first I was a very another early adopter of of IUDs because I had spent um, I had spent uh, a, a lot of time in India putting in many 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 IUDs. I'd put them like thirty IUDs a day. Wow! And so uh, and this is when there and and so you couldn't uh, you know this is when there were no IUDs in the U.S. Mm. Um, and so as soon as Marina was available, I started putting in people. And in fact, I put one in uh, a neighbor um, and within a week or two, she came to me and said, you've got to get this out of me. I'm mm. like, I'm like suicidal. Like, mm. yeah, I, I can't believe I, I, I'm feeling, I've never felt like this. Yeah. And I was like, I can't imagine this, but I took it out because I've obviously I believed yeah. her. Um, and, uh, her mood changes immediately reversed. Yeah. So, um, and that was really early on and still they're very little, there's very little in the literature about mood changes that can be accompanied with these, um, long acting reversible contraceptives. Um, I, I don't, and there's less, I know, I don't see as much migraine as uh, for, for whatever reason, as uh, I do, I have certainly seen um, migraine, um, and I guess uh, you shared about your wife, so I'll share about mine. I put, we, I, I had my, my wife got a marine IUD, and she's a dermatologist, and she would get one pimple mm. um, a month when she, that for, the, when she got the IUD, and she's yep. 
to her, that was like I was poisoning. Ah. <laughs> she was being poisoned. Ah. Was, um, she's a dermatologist. She has beautiful skin. Ah. Um, and so one pimple a month was like, was like devastating. <laughs> so, um, uh, so clearly there are systemic effects of, uh, of these IUDs. The nice thing is that the, there are now IUDs with much less progesterone um, uh, there's one called Skyla, which only has about a quarter of the progesterone of the marina. Mm. Any, so any, uh, any very sensitive, any diminishment in efficacy with that one? It's only a three year pill. I'm um, a three year IUD instead mm. of the, the marina, which is, uh, approved for five years in the U S and seven in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, women who use the marina often don't have periods because it thins the lining of the uterus. Whereas in people who use the Skylight, you still have periods because again, it's a much less dose. So it's not thinning the lining of the uterus. So it, 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 it so it lasts less long. But again, if you're very, if you're very um, sensitive to the progesterone, then this is a great option. I, I you, you triggered my thinking a little bit uh, when you were talking about uh, clotting and hypercoagulability and some of the oral contraceptives. I've been hearing reports and seeing cases of young women who get COVID who are not in the risk category for cytokine storm and all the usual problems we see with COVID, but are coming in with pulmonary emboli. And I just happen to think, uh, I wonder if maybe oral contraceptives plus COVID is not a good combo. Right. And I know a lot of people are at least anecdotally taking a baby aspirin a day, you know, the young healthy people, because that seems to be the, the major morbidity in young, uh, or at least one of the major morbidities in relatively young people who don't have any pulmonary issues. And who, um, and are, who are not, are and who are not obese and who don't have right. hypermetabolic syndrome stuff. But, you know, in, 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 I, and we need to, we need to get this word out a little more because I, I'm looking at that literature and, Although we have made anticoagulation sort of the routine part of the uh, story uh, and aspirin therapy something that people do auto- almost automatically, the reality is I-, I look at this literature and the only thing that seems to be making a difference is an old-fashioned medication, persantine, diperidamol, and I'm not seeing anybody using it. So do keep an eye on that literature. I, I-, I mean, remember persantine? You may not. It's an old medicine. No, no, that's, it, we used to. I, I think you seated me. Sorry. It, okay. Well, and I'm, I'm not sure, but in in medicine, in general medicine, aspirin and persantine were sort of standard therapy for. Uh, uh, stroke prophylaxis and and uh, even with coronary disease, we'd put people on this because it's an antiplatelet drug. And uh, it's just interesting to me that there was a big study that showed it worked very, very well in terms of preventing clot and PE and yet no one's sort of adopting it. So I'm wondering what's going on and now I'm starting to worry about oral contraceptives and young people and there may be something here we need to pay attention to. Well, I do think that these, I guess they're showing in the long haul people who are having long-term COVID symptoms that, again, it may be microinfarcts. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a little more complicated than that. And if anybody wants to know more, I just yesterday, well, uh, on December 2nd, 3rd, December 3rd, I inter- no, 2nd, December 2nd, I interviewed Dr. Bruce Patterson. Uh, it's on my website. And uh, he is creating a cohort of long haulers and studying them deeply. And we're looking at essentially – it's still a complicated story, but we're looking at different limbs or arms of the immune system being mm. downregulated or upregulated, and the cytokine activation, which is persistent in these long haulers, particularly the Ranty system, and they're actually going at and trying to treat some of this, uh, and essentially everything's working for a very short period of time, and then nothing works. So do do look at that. Dr. Patterson is one I of the guys that he's one of the guys that. Um, just really worked out the story of HIV. He's a, he's a very fine pathologist and, and laboratory medicine physician. Yeah, we're, we really are just, I think, scratching the surface of, of what this... Um, yeah, what this thing is. Of, of what this does. And, yeah. you know, we're talking today on the worst day, I guess, in, in the history of, of, of this. Of the, well, the it, it's, it, I, again, it depends how you look at it. I mean, I, I, I think that to ju- just catastrophize is an error. We need to look at the positive parts, too, here. That in spite of there being literally four times the number of cases... Death rate is kind of holding. Uh, it's been a little bit up the last couple of days, but it's sort of holding. It's certainly lower than when we were at one quarter the number of cases, which is extraordinary. Hospitalizations are a concern, right? That's We're worried about it because we can overwhelm the system. But still, the, you know, if you listen to the press, you would think we're already overwhelmed. Just look at the data last night and the average in the country of uh, bed occupancy by COVID is 13%. 
It's not ninety percent; it's thirteen percent. And so we're 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 like try to hang in and, and do what you're supposed to do, uh, and look try to try to stay positive is all I'm saying because it's easy to get caught up in the panic porn that's out there. It's just I I, I, yeah, I I hear you. I also I'm sitting here slightly uh, with chills and, and muscle aches. Because oh I no. Could, no, no, not because I have COVID, because yesterday I participated in the Johnson & Johnson clinical trial for a vaccine. Oh, right on. Uh, and I got the vaccine yesterday. So it's 50% chance that I got a placebo and 50% chance that I have a, got the, uh, the vaccine. But I'm going to tell you that I had, a, that I had uh, definitely shakes and chills and rigors and Great. muscle aches and Congratulations. Headaches. You got the vaccine. <laughs> so I think I got the vaccine. So, yeah. uh, when is, the, is there a second one on this one or just a one-timer? No, it's a one-time dose. Oh, I'm just, so just, jealous. I am so jealous. How did you get into that study? Honestly, I just uh, searched uh, clinical trials covid vaccine on online and it's and and they're they're huge studies i, I signed really up for four of them i signed up for moderna i signed up for pfizer i went at clinicaltrials.gov. i signed up there and nobody will have so me. that that didn't work i oh. actually caught it's the local um clinical research centers i i, have I, to I, I you know what i did that too and when i did it i oh, should have followed sorry. up they hadn't they hadn't started yet in the, the local ones that were near me and they sort of went right. check, check I, back in I December. To do this. Like I originally started trying to do this in April and May, yeah. and there really was there wasn't much. And then yeah. I sort of ignored it. And then um, I started trying to do it the last couple of weeks, and they got me in that day. So it was that easy. Oh my god! Um, if I if I am not uh, eligible, I don't know what California is going to do just yet as we record this podcast. What they're going to do with the distribution to physicians? But if I can't get in the first group, I'm going to go be in that Johnson and Johnson study. It sounds yeah, like a powerful I, I, vaccine. Well, <laughs> I'm certainly sitting here with you know. With uh, uh, luckily, there's Tylenol, but uh, I, you um, know what? I will get sick as hell because I, I get sick from vaccines routinely. I get sick yeah, from too. the flu yeah, shot. Yeah, I get I, sick from the shingles. Knocked me out both both times. Have you had the shingles vaccine yet? I did. Yeah. I did. Um, and yeah, I get I get viremic very easily. So yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I'm again, unless, unless it's an incredible placebo response, I uh, I think I got the vaccine. So that's good. Um, and I guess one of the things I think we need to talk about, and, um, and I think it was actually discussed today, is that um, these vaccines, though, will give pretty, you know, certainly a large percentage of people some pretty significant side effects. Yeah. Again, yes. they're, 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 they're one, two, maybe even three days. I look forward to that. I, I'm, I'm I look forward to that. Huh? I want that. I look forward no, to that. Let's let's no. me know I'm getting an immune response. That's what I said. I said last night I was shaking on. I kept saying, bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> like, uh, um, but I think that everyone needs to be aware out there that they, they're, you know, to, to expect side effects. And that's not a bad thing. And that's not a dangerous thing. And that's exactly what we want. And if you get, if it's, if you're, taking a vaccine that's a two-dose vaccine that's incredibly important that even if you get those side effects after the first one, that's incredibly important to get that second second dose. Oh, my God, and, yes. And I, and I hope that people – I hope that that message gets out there and people go, oh, I felt lousy after the first one. I don't want the second one. I really don't want that. Oh, no, 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 no. you got to understand. you gotta, you got to go through this. Just like the shing- the shingrix, the shingles vaccine, you got to do it twice. So, lastly, I want to I want to circle back one more time to this issue of the receptor differences. Mm-hmm. And last time we spoke, you were actually talking about us doing blood tests or some sort of pathological uh, uh, investigation into what someone has in terms of their receptor function, Hummer versus smart car, before we went ahead prescribing hormonal contraceptives. Is that still part of your theory or has that changed with time? No, but I mean part of the problem is is I think it's much more complicated. There are so many different – um, I mean, it can't be just the, uh, the testosterone receptor. It has to be receptors on one of the binding proteins, which you talked about. Right. Um, so unfortunately, it's, it's, it's much more complicated uh, than, than what I thought. And it would be much, it, you would need a panel of eight or nine different tests to really get a good predictive value. So I'm still moving forward with that, but it's not, I, I, I wish it was as straightforward. Um, I do want to talk about some of the interesting literature, though, about birth control pills and some things that that even what I would consider are uh, very worrisome. We've actually learned a lot about the birth control pills affect mate selection or partner selection. 
Oh boy. Um, and that, in fact, if you meet your spouse while on oral contraceptive pills, and that's when you start dating them and while you're on the pill, your divorce rate is significantly higher. Oh my God. That's crazy. And the reason for that is because of, because we don't even understand the 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 neurobiological affect yeah. us and our attraction to our yeah. to our to our partners and um, so and and there's a another medicine called spironolactone that's often used um, for, by dermatologists and others because to lower testosterone because of hair growth or acne um, and that that medicine also seems to affect um, mate selection. There's a great study where they actually took these very cute animals called prairie voles, and they're these cute little marsupials. I don't don't want to hear about prairie voles anymore. I I know Sue Carter, and I know her husband. I know the whole thing. If I hear more about prairie voles, I'm going to scream. Go crazy. (laughs) Everybody quotes prairie voles so much in Sue Carter's studies, but go ahead. The prairie voles and uh, oxytocin. Oxytocin and prairie voles. No, but this has nothing to do with oxytocin. Okay, all right. Testosterone. Okay, go ahead. Which is is they do mate for life, and they have the same partner, except if you give them spironolactone, they immediately change partners. Hmm. Interesting. Um, because you affect, because hormones affect so much about how we, what we perceive, um, uh, and we can often don't even know it consciously. Um, often, let's say you'll go to a bar with your, you know, you your friends, and you'll say, uh, especially women will go, and and maybe there will be objectively this really handsome guy, yeah, and you'll go, hmm, just doesn't do it for me, yeah. You don't know why yeah. you're like, oh yeah, like objectively he's really hot, except eh. You know, mm. um, and it, a lot of that could be the hormonal messages you're going back and forth. And birth control pills affect your side of that equation dramatically. Wow. I mean, this is, goes at that at something people used to say back in the 60s and 70s is we're doing this massive social experiment on the entire female population. And we don't fully understand what the long-term implications of that will be. We still don't. Right. But now you're starting to see what some of the specific uh, – yeah, Gary's shaking his head. What is it? Were you there? Did you, did you meet your wife while she was taking contraceptives? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I, she was on and off in the time we started dating. So hopefully, all right, you okay. made it through that. You're good. Hopefully, um, and, and that's really fascinating research. Uh, but I do, but I do encourage people. You know, if you really did start a date, you know, just stop the pill for you know before you get married. Just stop it for a few months. Make sure you're still attracted as much to your partner. I, I know that sounds crazy, but it really. Um, uh, Really has a, 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 you can't imagine how many women I've given this advice to, and they really it has affected their who they choose to spend at least a long you know their relationships. That's incredible. So I think it's important. But it is something that I've been saying forever: is that we don't pay enough attention to our motivational systems. As somebody who is working in the field of addiction, I, I see broken motivation at its at its most uh, profound. Um, manifestations and I get to see how the rest of the brain responds to the broken motivations and let me assure you it changes everything small changes in motivational function takes massive changes in affect and thinking and and you know directedness and exact everything everything is under the influence of this one core motivational system which is at its at its fundamental attribution it is the drive to survive that's its fundamental function is so it, of course it has an overriding drive and reproduce from, you know in your world uh, but so of course it has an overriding effect on other functions hey if i can give one little plug out i'm going to give a little plug out to my daughter and i'll tell you why you i bet. think you'll really be very excited about that she's working on developing a device and a company that has a, that is an auto injector of narcan oh yeah that's hooked up to a pulse oximeter oh interesting interesting so you could wear this device and if you uh OD, you don't die. Who's uh, who's making this? Uh, she, she, it's my my daughter has gotten three. She's got NIH grants. Wow, grants. Good for her. And um, uh, her company is very very small, and it's called Enlighten. And she's working with the. She's a. She's actually an undergraduate at Yale, but she's working with an addiction specialist at Yale. Mm-hmm. And they're they're developing this. They've gotten lots of grants, and I thought that you'd be very interested in. Oh, that. Oh, absolutely. Because because again, it's 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 
another problem with this pandemic is the amount of uh, amount of uh, overdoses. overdoses. Yeah, it's profound. Um, it's profound. And so this type of this this device would you know again wearable and it would uh, they have an amazing uh, algorithm that they're working on um, that so it would only inject when you're clearly in respiratory distress and mm-hmm. your pulse and your uh, blood oxygen has has dropped dramatically. So essentially that you're dead or dying. Interesting. And it would it will keep injecting until you recover and don't die. Interesting. So uh, I'm fascinated by our conversation today in that things have moved along and changed and become more nuanced and complicated as it often typically happens in medicine. Uh, And I'm remembering – I remember vividly our last conversations because that moved my my knowledge forward – and today has done the same, uh, and I'm glad to. I don't know if you're as aware as I am of it's. It's very different this conversation we had this time than last time, uh, but it feels more nuanced. It feels more accurate. It feels more um, clinically applicable in the sense that it's highly personalized, which is generally the way medicine is going. Yeah, I think I think that obviously that's going to be the medicine of the of the 21st century. Yeah. We, got, we have to. Uh, you know, if we can't if we can't figure out the specific genetics, at least pay attention to to how people respond specifically. Listen to people. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that 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 had was lost in medicine for the last thirty or forty years. Well, is we stop listening to people. Well, um, not only that, but we put the locus of the trouble trouble in the patient, not in our knowledge. Our fund of knowledge. It's, the problem is us, not the patient. The patient just wants to feel better, and we. Sure. we, and we I put, mean, we even the way we describe it, we would say a patient failed this medicine. Right. You know, I mean, that's that's, that's a, like it's they they failed. Like yeah. what a like what a like it's a, it's a crazy thing. How about the medicine failed the patient? The other way right. instead of the, the other the way around. The physician you know? failed the patient yeah. too. Exactly. All right. Well, listen. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to let so much time go by this time uh, between our right. next conversations. Uh, it's a privilege having you. Where do you want people to go? Um, my website is called vulvodynia.com, and, um, and that vulvodynia means uh, vulvar pain of an unknown cause. And that really, but there's a, an incredible amount of resources on that website for women who are having vulvar pain, sexual pain disorders, um, any gynecologic pain disorder. So just, it's a wealth of information. And so I, I want women to go to that website just because there's so much information on that. Um, and uh, if you're having uh, pain with sex and your doctor can't figure it out. There's a lot of information on there. And we have this brand new textbook that came out just uh, about a month ago, which it's a second edition, but it's only a second edition in name only because we wrote, we wrote the entire thing over the, in the last decade. Mm. Um, and really we've, we've come a long way. We're not where we need to be, but we've come a long way. So if you're having pain, pain with sex, pelvic pain, um, uh, we're, we're continuing continuing to move forward and, and, and um, so don't give up. That textbook is called Female Sexual Pain Disorders, Evaluation and Management. And I'm also guessing if people want to come to your Center for Vulvovaginal Disorders, it's in Washington, D.C. and New York. Is it just Center for Vulvovaginal Disorders? Um, yes. Yeah, so uh, you could actually go for cvvd.org. But if you go to vulvodynia.com, it's right there. Okay, perfect. All right, sir. Good to talk to you. We'll talk soon. Great speaking with you. You bet. Again, we'll- hope to speak again soon. You bet you. We'll see people next. We'll see you all next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Ready to get away from it all? Free yourself with Pluto TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No contracts, no subscriptions, no fees.
Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android or iPhone and start watching now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free.